thing we're talking about outreach, maybe a lot of what uh, we're talking about today will actually dovetail into into that about outreach. But um, it's almost it's almost forty. It is actually forty years ago when uh, I was doing veterinary work in Swaziland. Uh, in southern Africa and taking these uh, it's like a U-Haul truck but it was a mobile clinic into the mountains around uh, a place called Umbabani which is the capital of, of Swaziland and taking um, veterinary services to people who really didn't even know what veterinary services were and uh, would drive on a route every week into different places uh, repeating it every week and I'll, I'll never forget the one time I, we quite went quite deep into the hills and mountains and pulled up there with this big truck, and this woman is standing there, three of them actually, and, they, and so we're saying, what, what do you want? And they said, we're looking for milk for our babies. And I had medicine for their dogs and cows and animals, and it was just very disappointing to be able to be there but not be able to, to give them what they were looking for. And I, I just um, was reminded of that when I think of how many people gather and hear about God, but they don't believe there's anything there for them. And th- or they've been disappointed. And I, even as, as we, we gather here today, I wonder how many of us really, when we come to face it, are disappointed with God. Or we feel pretty distant. We kind of come. Maybe the first love or the moment when we first saw Jesus has gone real dim and it's not that exciting anymore and it doesn't seem that relevant. I think a story this morning, which is looking at this woman who uh, was in Samaria, when, who met Jesus at the well, has a lot to say maybe to encourage us because uh, you see we have these candles here which I always forget to light, but they, they symbolize uh, um, the themes of, the, of Advent. And so uh, what we've, we looked at l- two weeks, last week, we didn't look at it, but it was uh, uh, meant to be a peace that Jesus came to bring peace and Jesus comes to bring hope. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we gave out these booklets which really cover the themes that we're doing over Christmas. You can get one at the back of the church if you like at the end. It's just a free gift for you to ponder over Christmas looking at the Gospel of John. And it makes the the, uh, writer in that booklet makes the point that, you know, um, in all the Gospels, Mary is the woman who is most prominent in the Gospels, except in John's Gospel. And John wrote his Gospel. He knew that Matthew, Mark, and Luke already existed. And he wrote his Gospel um, as an older man, having pondered the meaning of Jesus for probably 30 or 40 years. And John is like the poet. He's, he's an artist. He speaks poetically. He speaks uh, trying to give meaning to things that he's actually looked at for a long time. And one of the things that he does uh, in his gospel, he really says, in the beginning there was light and light comes into the darkness. And he spends his whole gospel really talking about what does the impact of that light mean? What does that light look like? Significantly, this this chapter with this woman at Samaria is the prominent chapter in John's gospel. And and everything in this chapter is countercultural. She's a woman from Samaria, which is, a, is they're regarded as outcasts. They're not regarded as, uh, as Jewish, you know, first-class Jews. They're regarded as aliens almost. You don't uh, associate with Samaritans. It's interesting that Jesus talked about the good Samaritan in his, his parable. And so 
um, he broke you and you look at the story and when when Jesus engages with the woman they talk about the literal woman at the water of the we- at the well um, and Jesus is talking about a spiritual thing and then he, the disciples have gone off to get bread and uh, they think Jesus is hungry and they talk about physical bread and Jesus is talking about a spiritual bread there are these two realities going on all the time and I think I say that at the beginning to say there is actually there are always two realities the, the two realities of our lives here right now um, can be just that. It's just what you see here. Or there's another reality. Now, if you take out your t- cell phone, one of the things you'll do when you look at your cell phone is to look at how many bars you have because your bars show you what you're receiving if you can, if you can contact and receive the Internet. And I was thinking about that over the last week because I think about weird things. And it seemed like God was saying, you know, just as your cell phone has bars, when people have Jesus in them, they become transmitters of God. So when you walk into a situation and your heart is open to Jesus, you become a a five-bar receiver of the presence of Jesus into that place. And that actually you are, if, if if you grow in your relationship with Jesus, which is what actually... Um, Lee was saying is when you actually pay attention to your relationship with Jesus the bars go up and so when you walk into a place you, are, you have become somebody who, through whom God can speak because the reception is good you are the receiver and that is true for everyone and one of the things we've got totally hijacked by is that you have to be somehow very educated or very spiritual for God to actually use you you just have to be a receiver who's open Everything from Jesus' angle is a lot more simpler than it is from a religious angle. And so this uh, passage that we're going to look at is John chapter 4. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. It's interesting that Jesus didn't have to do everything. From the very, very beginning he had everybody share in this. I wonder if the disciples say, well, we can't baptize, we're just fishermen. And he says, no, you've got me with you, so get on and do it. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sitchar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I wonder how many people think of, how many of us think we have divine appointments? I don't think that's true. It's going to be very controversial. Um, you know, these divine appointments. Later on here, Jesus talks about the harvest fields and other places. He says the fields are white with harvest. Uh, just the laborers are few. I think when we have a divine appointment, we're just cluing into the opportunity that exists everywhere. And where we think, oh, this is a divine appointment, God said, yeah, you missed 25, but I bless you that you got this one. In other words, it's everywhere. And what I want to h- highlight in this passage too is this is a, this is a passage that describes what it li- it's like to do ministry. And this is a passage that describes what it's like to pray. And this is a passage that describes what it's like to meet people who are broken and messed up. And the thing that you'll find in this passage is there's nothing religious and there's nothing that's like a formula. Anybody can do this. 
What difference does Jesus make to my everyday life? Last, a few weeks ago, we talked about the woman uh, who came into Simon's dinner party where Jesus was the guest and, and then broke apart and fell apart and was an absolutely emotional mess and she made a mess everywhere. The ointment was poured out over Jesus and it was really disturbing and Simon was ticked off. And Jesus turned around to Simon and said, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon just saw an interruption. Simon saw something embarrassing. Simon saw something awkward. And Jesus saw something beautiful. And so we, 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 we're coming back to this. Do you see her? Do you see other people? I don't think you can actually see other people until you've been seen. I wonder how many of us feel seen. Feel the focus of God's love on us. And he's not walking by. And he's not disinterested. And he's not scratching his head knowing what to do with you. I wonder if you know what it's like to have his eyes upon you and to know that they never leave you and that you're always the apple of his eye. But we can be in one place and feel absolutely desolate and be in the same place and feel the love of the Father. And nothing on the outside will look different. I've told you how when I went through my very dark period and I was coming out, I was beginning to listen to a few things and I could begin to smell God a bit like the fragrance of bread and I never thought I would feel that again. And I got this picture and I don't get them very often like this and he just said to me, I was in the slave camp and many of you have heard this before but it's compelling to me. And uh, I was in the slave camp and I'd been in the slave camp for seven years of despair and anger and frustration and I'm done with God and I'm done with Christians and I'm done with everything. And he said, open your shirt and I was sweaty and I saw myself in this desert place with, under pyramids and, and uh, I heard this voice saying, um, what are you doing here? I didn't answer and I knew it was God. What are you doing here? And he said, open your shirt. And I opened my slave clothes. They were, they were like uh, brown, filthy rags. And on my chest was this uh, brand new, huge uh, Superman emblem. And he just said to me, very gently, you've forgotten your identity. Now get up and walk out of here. And that was literally the moment everything changed for me. If you'd watched me from a distance, you wouldn't have seen much. I might have been smiling after a long time but there was an element of you've forgotten your identity and really all that Jesus is about is, is establishing identity for all of us finding those who are lost and bringing them home and then letting them live their lives from now on from the home where they are deeply loved you are deeply loved and it has nothing to do with your circumstances well if God loves me so much why are my circumstances so bad that's a long conversation. Let's follow through and see what happens here. This is a, is John places this uh, woman at the center and, and uh, women weren't meant to be very visible in that culture. It's a bit like when you go to India and we, we went to India uh, you know, a couple of times and the women serve you food but they don't sit with you. The women do all the washing. They do all the work, actually. The men sort of strut around and think they're important. And really, at the end of our time visiting the orphanage the first time, I said, we're going to buy you some gifts and we're going to buy the women some saris. And so the men said, well, we can get them in Tanali. We'll, I said, what, what would they like? He said, we'll choose it for them. 
I looked at him and I said, uh, they're not getting any saris unless they come with us and choose it for themselves. So they all came along and we all had a great time choosing saris. Um, but these cultural things go deep. And when you're in the middle of them, you don't even realize what you're doing sometimes. And these women had no status. And you remember God created Adam out of dust and he created Eve out of Adam. And then Jesus was born out of Mary. God doesn't have one gender is greater than the other. Of course, in the chaos of our world right now, genders have become a problem too. Because apparently we have the right to decide what sex we are and the Bible talks about foolishness. You there is a deep, deep foolishness in our culture. But I won't go down that road today other than to say, uh, you know, God made male and female in his image. So male and female together create the fullest representation of God on earth. But in Jesus' time, they had lost sight of all of that as well. And so light came into the world in, this, in the form of this person, Jesus. And one of the things about God when he meets with us, it often is in surprising places and often doesn't look like God. God is speaking to you and me and he'll speak to you through your friends, through your circumstances, through all kinds of things that happen during the week if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a humility to receive. And so Jesus is on this journey and he stops in this, at this well in Samaria and he sits there because he's tired. Jesus got tired. He was fully human. And he's sitting at this well and where are his disciples gone? His disciples have gone into town to get food. And I don't think uh, at all Jesus was sitting here waiting for the Samaritan woman to come because this was all set up. I think it was just life happening. And Jesus was tired and maybe he thought, oh my word, here comes somebody. I want some peace right now. I don't feel like doing ministry. And this woman turns up in the, mid, in, in the midday, which is the heat of the day, which is a clue right in itself. What on earth are you coming to fetch water for in the hottest time of the day? You're coming to a well that your hope is empty and hope is, is vacant because you don't want to engage with anybody else. Because you're engaging with anybody else means you might be humiliated. You might feel your self-esteem is really low or you just don't want to hassle with judgment from people because you're tired of judgment. Your life is a mess and you don't have much hope for your life. You're just existing. And you're a woman who's looking for love and you've tried to find it through sex because that seems to be the theme. She's probably not that old and she's had five husbands. It's a lot of husbands. And what would you write in the script if you were to write the story and say a woman with five husbands and now living with another man um, meets God? In the religion, in the religious outlook, God wouldn't have anything to do with her. The God of the Jewish law would have nothing to do with her. She should have been stoned. She should have been uh, cast out. And there are many people who keep their distance from God because they're afraid that if they were to get close, he would reject them. So they say, I'm not the spiritual type or I'm, I'm not really good enough. And if you knew what had happened in my life, well, that would be bad news. So I feel guilty enough. I don't need God to rub it in. And I don't need people who believe in God to rub it in because that's what a lot of them do. 
A lot of people who believe in God uh, make other people who don't believe in God feel very small and very dirty and very judged. Because it's easier. Makes me feel righteous. Because I'm looking at your behaviors. And Jesus is sitting at this well and this woman comes up and if I, if I was directing it, I might have her flirt with Jesus because I think that's what she knows how to do. She, Interestingly enough, you know, in, in, a, in a culture where women are subservient and people look down on you, I would have expected Jesus to say, can you give me a drink? And she might have said, yes, sir, bowed her head, got him some water and scurried off. But she didn't. She was surprised that he spoke to her because it wasn't normal. And he didn't start by saying, do you know who that I am? He didn't start by saying, you're a piece of work. He didn't say, let me pray for you because I see you're in trouble. I think one of the things we've got into in our culture right now is everybody wants to do ministry. And you do ministry to people. So I want to prophesy over you, I want to speak over you, I want to pray over you, I want to pray for your healing. And I wonder sometimes who gets the benefit and the blessing. Now Jesus began by saying to her, can you help me? I, I was looking for a drink. And then they start conversing. And I don't think when they started that conversation, Jesus knew where it was going to end up. You see, he was a human being filled with God's spirit. He wasn't the all-knowing God on earth in human form. He was limited in his capacity as a man. And so everything Jesus did on earth with the Spirit, we can do because the same Spirit abides in those who say they follow Jesus. And one of the ways that God works very often is um, he just begins to release the discernment as you start walking and talking. So Jesus, I suppose, could have said, uh, Father, give me a word of knowledge for this woman. Who is she? What's her name? Where does she come from? He doesn't have to. He just starts talking and asks her about herself. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he begins to converse with her. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did also his sons and his livestock? And I might have had her being very coy and smiling at him and going, you look like a nice boy. I know men. That's where I've got my life. She might have teased him. I don't think I'm reading into it. I just think we sanitize the life of Jesus to a degree where human beings don't exist like they exist here. Probably the one thing this woman could do well was to satisfy men. The only problem was she wasn't satisfied. She'd sold her soul in order to find something. And Jesus is demonstrating something to her. Maybe let's pretend she's flirting with him. He doesn't flirt back because he sees her he doesn't see her for what she can give him. She, he doesn't see her in any way that is a sexual come on. 
because he's whole within himself. I'm not saying he's never tempted. I'm just saying that's not how he converses with her. And she might not know what to do with that. Because what he's doing in his conversation is beginning to reveal what it's like to converse with somebody who doesn't want anything from you. And part of the prayer that the Father prays and reveals through Jesus is fulfilled in the conversation that takes place. And what is happening is that Jesus, though he was tired and though he is thirsty, when she comes into his orbit and they begin a conversation, he forgets about his tiredness and his thirst and he pays attention to her. And as he said to the other time with Simon, he sees her. And if you and I want to do ministry, this is a really good way to do it. Don't talk at somebody. Don't jump into ministry. See them. Find out who they are. You don't need a word of knowledge to be polite. You don't need a word of knowledge to say, who are you? How are you? Can you help me? But through that process, God might well answer a prayer that doesn't even need to be prayed formally because it's being prayed incarnationally. Most, what's the biggest thing people are struggling for in our culture? Friendship. And being seen. And so they have this conversation and sometimes we have conversations that don't make any sense with people just because we need to have the conversation and see where it goes. Like if you want to talk about this, let's talk about it. I don't have to change the subject just because I'm not interested. I can actually just stay with the conversation and see where it goes. It takes time. People take time. But you and I will not stop and sit at a well or in a coffee shop and talk to anybody in a manner that it's natural and it comes out of our hearts unless we have actually taken the time to sit down and be talked to with ourselves by Jesus. If we haven't really been found by Jesus in our own spirits, what we will give to people is little bits of information. But what Jesus is doing is actually, this woman keeps on going to the head and he's going to the heart. So she keeps on trying to have a conversation that Jesus steers her in and out of. So they want to talk about physical water and Jesus says, well, there's a water that you haven't heard anything about and she's intrigued. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And she doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Really? Just means, well, give me some of that so I don't have to come here every day. And what does Jesus say at that point? See, at that point for maybe many of us, we go, uh, well, let me just pray for that water to be released over you and in you. And what does Jesus say? You see, God can't give you something cheaply. Jesus is sitting at the well saying, I'd love for you to have the spirit of water, the spiritual water that I'm talking about so that you actually find wholeness. 
But God can't, won't do it all. So what does he do? He says, go and call your husband. Why? Well, in a very gentle way, he's exposing her deepest cry. And he's really saying, honey, I'd love to give you the water. But you're looking for sustenance in a place that conflicts with what I can give you. And we maybe need to talk about that. And what does he do? He says, uh, she says, well, I'm, I'm not married. And then he has a word of knowledge. He says, you've told me the truth. You've been married five times. You've had five husbands and the man you're with, you're not even married, which tells you, like, I've given up on husbands. But I haven't given up on men because they are the thing that maybe try I'm still looking for meaning from men which I hope most of us have realized is a futile exploit. Looking for meaning and fulfillment from men or women is a waste of time in the essence of who we are. We have to find fulfillment and meaning within ourselves in order to bless the relationships that complete that. And so Jesus says you've already had five husbands and the, 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 the the one you're with now is not your husband. Uh, go and get him. Why? Because I want to unlock something in you that we need to be truthful. Again, you say, well, do you need words of knowledge? Not necessarily. You just have conversations. You see, the answer to prayers and the answer to God working in people is truthfulness. You can't ask God to bless you over here and you're committing adultery over here. You can't ask God to bless you over here and you're snorting cocaine over here. It doesn't work like that. But his grace does because he meets you in a place and says, this isn't working. One of the reasons that many people are not on fire for Jesus is they're still sitting on the fence. So we hedge our bets. And you don't have to be radical to be one of those. There are many people who have not submitted their lives to Jesus. Probably 50% here are in that boat. Maybe not. Which means I'm trusting him with my life. And I think that's a growing process anyway. I think, I think we're continually surrendering our lives as we get aware of things. See, my prayer is if Jesus is the best thing in life, is the, most big, is, is the light of the world and he brings joy and peace and hope, then Jesus, I want to I know that. And so the, the thing that stops me from knowing that is I've got five husbands and the one I am with is not my husband. And that husband could be anything. It could be work. It could be an addiction. It could be a fear. It could be all kinds of things. The things that I'm holding on to and looking for life from, and they're not giving life. And so conversations with Jesus tend to be about revealing what is getting in the way. How easy are, is it to have conversations with you? Do you think? This is not about making you feel bad whatsoever. It's about if you want to know God deeply, how easy is it for ha to have conversations where I'm not defending what is dead in me anyway? Am I making sense? Where I stop wanting to defend the parts of me that are threatened and I actually just say, Jesus, just help me to yield them to you bit by bit because the good news about 
this woman at the well when she meets with Jesus and he exposes to her her lifestyle and everything about her. Does he sound angry? Is he judging? Is he casting her out? Not at all. In fact, the thing that absolutely causes her to light up is he knows, ev- he n- and I don't think this is the whole conversation. I think John's just given us some of it. But I believe what's happening to her is he is seeing me, but the, the most amazing thing is it, in seeing me, he's not rejecting me. And that is something I have never experienced before because my whole life I've, said, I've been saying, see me, don't use me. But when I'm really broken, I give up on the see me. I say, use me, anything, I'll take anything. And many of us settle for that, anything. It might not be sexual, it just might be numbness, or it might be resignation, or it might be just whatever. And we give up hoping. And so Jesus comes to this woman, and they have this conversation, and they finally come to the place where she says, I think you are someone like I've never met before. Maybe you're the Messiah, which is an amazing statement to make or come to. And Jesus says to her after she says, um, they get into this whole discussion, because she always, she, every time it gets a little personal, she goes back to theology. Or so, so she starts talking about uh, worship, and worship is about worshiping on this mountain or that mountain. Do you ever notice that you do that? You go into issues? Or you get offended and you go into offenses? And part of what Jesus wants to do with us is just to have conversations about how's your life going? How are your relationships going? How's your hope? And the disciples come back and they see Jesus uh, walking, uh, talking to this woman and of course they go, what's he talking to this Samaritan woman for? He knows it's not meant to be. And she just puts down her jar and she goes into her village. And she goes back into that village and she's saying to the people who all probably know her, that woman. And she had come to the well so that she wouldn't have to converse with anybody and she goes back into the village to converse with people at midday. Because the encounter with Jesus had absolutely rocked her world. And she didn't have to to have a course on how to go and share Jesus with people. She didn't have to have a course on how to speak to people. She didn't have to have a course on what does it mean to talk properly to people. We've made it all so difficult. But when something touches you on the inside, you don't need somebody to teach you how to share it. You share it. And she went back and said, come and see, there's a man who's told me everything about me. And they go, well, if, they, you've told, if he's told you everything about you and you're still talking to him, he must be special because we know about you and we're not talking to you. And so this broken, messy woman, the talk of the town, becomes used by God to bring people to Jesus. And if God can use her, he can use anyone. But the reason he can use her is an authentic experience of encounter with his love. Very, very immature, very, very embryonic, but significant. I mean, I would encourage you to stop praying for people and get to know them. I would encourage you to build friendships with people and let the ministry come out of the friendships and let people have conversations with you and God have conversations through you that actually go below the surface.
and practice not judging and practice not having an answer and practice not giving advice and practice saying this is what I know that God, Jesus met me in the way I told you one day opened up and there's Superman and it changed my life gave me hope again and the thing that's been most amazing is he's never condemned me even though I condemn myself the theme today is maybe hope hope is a byproduct of the presence of God you can't chase after hope but if you come close to Jesus hope will rise up so this woman goes to town and this is maybe what she said let's watch a quick video it's powerful it takes time to know and to be known you can't be known if you never step up either so there's risk involved but it's also the way to life many of us have got stuck in our relationship with Jesus because we only want to be rescued from hell and he wanted to equip us to live heaven on earth but that means he has to possess us and be able to take hold of us and talk to us and, and lead us through all the brokenness that is ours right now so that we can become a people who are free on the inside and then we can walk into our light and the culture around us and we can actually bring something of substance those little Wi-Fi bars of Jesus in us can actually be released with power. Let me tell you about one who touched my life. Let me tell you about one who's not just the light of the world, but actually transformed my heart. Because I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about a God who's extraordinarily good because I used to think he was very bad and I used to think that he actually didn't care you see, if you want to pray with people and walk with people, then share your life with people. Share the questions that are still unanswered. You don't need the answers. You just need to be present. And when you are present, Jesus' presence flows through you and releases hope. But we talk about Jesus quite deliberately because his name is the name above all names and his name is powerful. We don't talk about creator and we don't talk about a God and we don't talk about God as you believe in him. We talk about Jesus because he is the light of the world. And if people get offended by that, we, we smile and say, it's okay. What does that name mean to you? And we don't get defensive. We don't have to be defensive because we're growing in assurance. And what we want is that your experience of God in me is non-offensive in the sense that I don't reject you or get angry with you because you don't agree with me right now. You see, to do ministry in the power of the Spirit one-on-one -on -one to people in the world in which we live is not about just laying hands on people and praying short prayers and making declarations. It's about introducing them to the love of the Father. And it, that has skin on. And you and I are the ones with skin. This is what somebody said, and I'm finishing with this. They, they do ministry in, a, in an outrageous way. They said our, our adventures, have t they interpret dreams our adventures have taken us to places like the Sundance Film Festival since 2002 where independent film ga makers gather, the Burning Man Festival in Black Rock Desert of Nevada since 2004, where 70,000 trendsetters and spiritual seekers camp in the desert for a 10-day experience of radical self-expression, which is a mild way of saying it's one wild party. No self-respecting Christian would be within a m 
hundred miles of there, but the light of the world would be. And I'm not talking about the self-expecting Christians who are justifying being in a pornographic environment because they really haven't dealt with their issues and they're getting, you know, you know what I mean. You've got to be healed up. We have set up booths at New Age festivals, pagan events, and most recently we have built teams to be present at major porn conventions in an effort to rescue young people from this epidemic of moral, less destructive lifestyles. And all of this starts from a conversation with Jesus at the well. Because all of these other things are like deserts in comparison. And so the person says this, we have to learn to listen, to hear, instead of listen to respond. When we empathically, em- emphatically listen with our hearts, we shove all our thoughts out of our heads and make ourselves available to actually listen as people lower a bridge and gateway into their hearts. A trust is formed and we are able to loving, lovingly communicate truth, love,